Hi, you guys. This is Liz Ryan, and this is the Truth About Work podcast, episode 44. Hmm. Never heard that 44 was a special number, but if you know of any significance to it, I'm dying to hear. It seems like a lot, though. I don't know. It doesn't seem like a lot because there's so much to talk about with work and the workplace and what's changing and what work means and its place in society and our lives and our culture and then how to how to do it all the how to so much to talk about right but um it feels like there's a lot left to discuss but it also still feels like a lot of a lot of uh episodes 44 even though um we're just kind of getting started with the topic you know we're still working on an old model the industrial revolution model i call it godzilla that model you know, with the hierarchy and the organizational chart and information flows down. It doesn't go up easily, but it comes down easily, meaning the folks making the big decisions are very removed from the consequences of the decisions or certainly, you know, the people who carry those things out. So it's a very flawed model for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of fear in it. And that's what I love to talk about and dissect. Um, But I'm deluged with questions, and I don't mind. It's great. If you have a question for me, please send it to support at humanworkplace.com. We can answer a few of them uh, on LinkedIn or, or here on the podcast or Twitter, wherever, Facebook, in a blog post, something like that, in a video. Um, and I want to say I love answering the questions, and I'm answering them in order to spin out in little little bits of web, right? Like Peter Parker, this overarching idea of human workplace and how we could work from the, you know, most lofty kind of structural design for work down to how we do individual uh, procedures and transactions and practices, but with an understanding, a mindset that is that work is about people first and foremostly. And, 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 Yes, we have to make a profit to stay in business, but this idea of chasing the last penny of profit, you know, so that there end up to be seven companies in the world and we all, it's ridiculous. Obviously, that model is flawed. So at the level of, you know, our whole society, we we have big changes to make. And at the level of individual organizations, there's a huge opportunity, huge opportunity to say this is going to be a company, an enterprise, an organization that runs on the human workplace model, putting people first, because that is sustainable for us as a company. And that's what I want for my company, rather than, you know, a quick exit by virtue of selling to a conglomerate, you know, two years after the founding to make money quickly and then, and then, you know, become a freak, a weirdo, like some of these billionaires that hoard bizarre shit because, you know, they have so much money, they've lost their reason. There's people starving. You know, it's, it's, that's the biggest imbalance there is, right? On the planet that's leading the planet into literal existential danger through uh, climate change. But no, I have to. And so then that model spills down to the smallest little company. Wow, if I can just make X number, I don't have to work anymore. And, and it's, it's like the literal opposite of thinking holistically or thinking about us as one community or thinking that what benefits, you know, the people with the least benefits all of us and makes us healthier as a group, right? 
And so the story, the answers to the, the little questions, you know, questions in the moment, which I love to answer, what should I do in this situation with my job search or with my boss or with my team or with my career direction, you know, what should I do or what do you think? Um, they're great. And they are, for me, um, apertures Q&A, you know, the A part of Q&A question and answer is me trying to spill out, dribble out this human workplace, you know, worldview in bite-sized pieces. That's what it is. That's the reason I, I love Q&A because people run into these situations and really what I interpret every question as is how does human workplace sort of methodology and practice and philosophy inform this specific issue I'm asking you about. It's easier than saying, here we go is the human workplace canon. Here you go, step one through a thousand. We do have courses, virtual courses, multimedia courses on our site, humanworkplace.com on job search and starting your consulting business, you know, and HR and leadership and writing your resume and really cool stuff, career reinvention and all that kind of stuff. And I still know that, you know, the topic of 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 work and how do you all from the from the you know minutely practical how do i respond to this particular kind of email correspondence i got in my job in the course of my job search from a recruiter or from an employer whatever or from a candidate all the way up to dang like how am i even supposed to think about my career in my life especially in this world where it can be very hard just to have a job that pays my bills i don't have the luxury to think beyond that, but how, 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 so with that overarching fact, how do I think about it? What should I expect for myself? You know, I'm still fighting the voices that tell me I'm still trying to live up to other people's expectations. And that's a, that's a weight on my shoulders, you know, trying to make my own choices, but also like bills must be paid. And it's a very complicated three-dimensional Sudoku puzzle always shifting. It's a very hard thing to figure out your work in your life, your work in your life. And so that's why I talk about this stuff. Love to answer questions. And those questions are being answered in, you know, the spirit of sharing sort of the human workplace worldview in tangible bites, in ways that people can apply. It has to do with what? Growing your flame, getting a better understanding of what you bring and realizing, wow, not everyone's going to appreciate this. Then not everyone's going to appreciate me, who I am, my story. Different things will, you know, will affect different people differently. And I cannot, it's got to be somewhat transactional for me. I'm not looking to get saved. I'm looking for somebody that sees what I bring and values it same way I do. Right. And for employers, it's how do we create an environment where people want to be that that is the bottom line right there. That's the bottom line behind the bottom line. We want to make money. But the problem with making money, I, I want you to make money, too. But the problem with viewing everything through the lens of how can we make the most money is it's not the lens makes no sense without the dimension of time. Right. Without that coordinate. I want to make we want to make so much money with this business. We'll just shut the doors tomorrow and. You know, sell the business, shut the doors. Like, in other words, if you got rid of all the employees and you got rid of all the expenses, then there, you would, it would be pure profit until you slam into a wall because there's nobody to do the work that needs to be done. Does it make sense? Like, there's so many things you could do. Companies, when they're getting ready to be sold, they'll lay off a gazillion people. Like, the company could never function that way, but it looks really good 
on the books for a while until they sell the company. So the idea of let's make tons and tons of money is always, it doesn't make any sense without the question for how long. And so years ago, companies said, oh, we want to go for 150, 400 years. We want to, you know, my grandfather started this company and we want to ride off into the sunset. But that's not the mindset anymore. It's how can we gobble up our competitors and get as big as possible until we're it and then we're a huge monopoly and there's nine companies on the planet. That's, that's, not, that's not a sustainable model. And, um, and so many people are saying, you know what? I have to find a way to run this business and sustain the business hard as it is with competition and, you know, and, and, and consolidation and, and then disruptive change and all these things coming down the pike all the time. But I have to figure out a way to run this organization to persevere, to be sustainable. And that's going to involve being a great place to work. If I have employees at all, it has to be a great place to work. Because A, it's me as a CEO, it's my integrity, it's my mark on this planet in my lifetime, right? It's my brand, it's my statement, how the company is more. I mean, some people would just say, I'm happy to have built a company that I could sell to whoever for, you know, half a billion dollars, that's it. That's my life's work, God bless. But a lot of people would look at that and say, okay, that's cool, but what, I mean, so I got a bunch of money in the bank and I'm part owner of a basketball team or whatever, but what, you know, what else can I do while I'm here? Maybe I want to build something that has a different kind of effect, effect on pe positive effect on people who were not the small group of people, you know, that, that held stock in the company when we were sold and it got a payday. Maybe I want to make an organization that's a great place to work and that takes great care of its customers and that is a positive force in its community, in all of its communities. And that maybe I then, my legacy is more like a, a trailblazer in building, you know, a sustainable business that really, really valued people all the way around, you know, in every direction, customers and employees and vendors and contractors, whatever, community members. So, you know, I'm talking to those folks really because they want something different and they want to strategically and thoughtfully and intentionally, you know, have a company that, that values people. And the weird thing is it's so much easier than the other kind. It's crazy. It's really crazy that it's so much cheaper to lead people through trust than to manage them down to the ground through intense, you know, fear-based supervision, looking for infractions. It's just weird. It's just never, it has never made logical sense that anybody would lead through fear because it, it kills the goose that lays the golden eggs, right? It, it kills motivation. It makes people not trust you and it drives great people away from an organization or even a recruiting pipeline. But fear is expedient. It's really fast. And the other thing is it gives you a temporary high, like a drug. Like not, not feeling fear, but inducing fear in someone else. Cause that's like our old fashioned view of power. Made that guy jump. Oh, good for you. Are you 11? <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not my, listen, we all feel fear, but fear-based management is the worst and it's the enemy I'm talking about Godzilla. Oh, Godzilla, the, um, the model that we still use for work. I call it Godzilla because of that blue oyster cult song called Godzilla, you know? 
Because history shows again and again how nature points out the folly of man. Godzilla, you know, Godzilla the monster in the sea. Well, same thing. At work with the fear-based, hierarchical, you know, rule-bound. So that's what we're really doing. We're chipping away at Godzilla, you know. We're chipping away at this idea that, you know, we have to lead through fear and progressive discipline and all this kind of stuff and, you know, policies everywhere and sort of like, you know, infractions are kind of the unit of measurement and it's all metrics and it's all KPIs. If we if we just respect the people that we hire enough to say, we hired you to do this job and it could be kind of complicated, but you can figure it out and we're going to help you and you can put your own stamp on it. So what we're not going to do is subdivide every day into just like 15 metrics that you have to hit to prove that you were, you would, you know, it's like give people a little bit of rope, give them a little bit of space and let the, and see what they can do. The mechanization of work is Godzilla. That's the enemy. That's what we're here at Human Workplace trying to talk about, raise awareness about, and eventually, you know, erode. Mechanization of human work, of knowledge work in anywhere, in a retail store, in a fast food place, in a, in an office, in a lab. It's the mechanization. I'm all for automation. Automation should be human-focused automation. It's weird. You know what's weird? Since I'm on a rant right now, and I'm going to get to the questions. It's weird that we've had bachelor's programs, master's programs, who knows, maybe PhD programs in, you know, user uh, interaction and user experience and, you know, uh, I can't remember the terms, but you know, the, 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 um, usability, obviously usability, you know, in general, making things usable, making customer processes usable, making products usable, making design usable, making everything usable. I love it, love it, love it. But we don't do that at work in the processes very often because we have this overarching idea. You're getting paid, but wait, if it was actually easy and slippery, it would happen more often and more correctly and with fewer errors. Yeah. Well, you're getting paid. Employees everywhere, everywhere, always yammering, are always complaining. This automation is horrible. Like, put money into the systems that would let us actually do the jobs you pay us to do. And they say, like, why is our, our is our technology or why are our systems so far behind? Ah, you can you can deal with it. It's a weird, it's a weird dynamic. It's not good for your business. Well, it's employees and they can suck it up. You know, you wouldn't treat your 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 lab equipment. You wouldn't treat your manufacturing equipment. The way you treat employees that you say are like your valued team, you work them, you know, all hours and you send them home on the weekend or now everybody's at home, right? A lot of folks at home with tons of work to do, big work, you know, expectations, KPIs all over the place and um, no break. And there's no legal limit in the United States to the hours that a person can work, a salaried employee. Can you imagine that? Yeah, so that's what we're working on. And the reason for the Q&A is to, you know, dribble out these little bits of the the mindset, the worldview. But I do have a bunch of really quick questions that people have been asking over email. And they're basically, how do you feel about it? Or what is your view on questions? So I'm just going to spit these out. What's your view on pre-employment tests? Well, I mean... <laughs> If you start with the dynamic, you're here, you're interviewing for a job. We're super excited to meet you. We've got your resume. We have this need. We have this job we need to have filled. We want to tell you about it. We want to hear about you and have a conversation. But take this test. 
I mean, talk about the unequal power dynamic. This is what I'm always saying, right? Why? Is there a benefit? Right at the beginning of the relationship, take this test. Like our fear is that you might not pass muster. You might not be good enough. That's not your fear, sweetie. That's not your fear. If you're recruiting, your fear is that a great person doesn't take the job because they're gone or they're grossed out by your entry process. That's not how you start a relationship. No, no. So right on, right on the face of it, because of the dynamic, because of the disgusting message it sends candidates whom you need to run your business. I'm not a fan. I, I, I soften toward the end of the process. Don't ask people for free consulting, obviously, but you say, look, here's the assignment. This is my favorite one, okay? And you can decide if this works for you or not. I would say to folks, what do you think? And they would say, it sounds amazing. I actually really want to do this job. Okay, thanks. That's super heartening and, and I'm glad to hear it. You know, it was a great talk. Do me a favor. If you feel like it, go home and don't send me a thank you note, but just say, here's what I heard. This is what I think is relevant. This is what I think is big for you. Here's my thought. I wasn't asking for free consulting. I do not want solutions to my problems. That would be goofy. We wouldn't even have time to lay them out in a way that anybody could. That's absurd. You're never going to give solutions. Oh, here's what you do. You just do this and then you hit the number five button. And no. Anybody asks you to consult for free on an interview, lay out a complicated situation. You know, you can say, well, I can tell you the process I would follow to solve that. I would interview you and this person and that person. I'll get some data, right? Come on. But no, I would never ask somebody to go do free consulting. But what did you hear? Like literally checking for signal to noise ratio. Literally checking to see the connection. That I feel is appropriate. What did you hear? It could be, they could send back 200 words. Well, I heard that your big thing is this, you're gonna do this and you're gonna do this. And it sounds like I'd maybe put them in this order or you know, I, I would question why this third item is as high priority, you know, whatever, it doesn't even matter. The main thing is that, did you hear? Am I communicating effectively, right? So I don't like pre-employment tests, but I think at the end of the process, you have to say, look, do we have a, a, a intellectual connection here? Like that, that, that whatever I'm saying in our in-depth conversations about the role and the company and what's going on, you know, makes sense to you. And the biggest thing when folks would have difficulty with that assignment is they just plumb forgot. They just didn't do it. I, I don't want to say forgot because maybe they didn't want to do it, which is absolutely fine too. But, um, I did hear it for some people saying, Hey, what happened? The thing I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, I thought you were going to send this thing. Oh, I totally did say I was going to do that. You know, it went out of my head, which is absolutely fine. But obviously you're not going to write back and say, Hey, don't forget to send me that thing. That'd be rude. Cause they might not be interested in the job or they might not just not want to pursue it. But anyway, yes, I'm not a super big fan of pre-employment tests for the reasons mentioned just a moment ago. 360 degree feedback. No, also not. I just, I've written a ton of articles about it. Uh, 360 degree feedback is gross. That is gross. You, we, we want to teach people to communicate. We don't want to teach them to talk about each other. Come on. It's 2021, you guys. And talk about your coworker. They're not going to know where the feedback came from. They won't know what is the truth. Then why why are we working to knock down and tear apart relationships? That makes no sense. How do you, and then the and then the managers in the middle of it. That is so gross. We'll talk about it another time. Liz, how do you feel about? It's a, 
Oh, the question, tell me about yourself. I love that question. A lot of people don't like the interview question. Tell me about yourself. But I really like it because, A, that's a great, it's the most amazing aperture, keyhole, to turn the interview around, spin the table, and say, well, you know, here's a little bit about me. But actually, if I can ask you a quick question about the job, I, that would be super helpful and help me tailor my remarks. My question is, and you go into like a pain question, and I've written a lot about that, how to spin the table or how to answer the question. Tell me about yourself because it's so open-ended. But even even if you choose not to do that and go with the pain selling in the interview, it's still a great question. You get to decide how to answer. I know it might make you feel ill at ease. I don't know what to say, but now is your chance before your next job interview. Just think about what... What do I want to say? You know, tell me about your career. Tell me about your path. Tell me about yourself. It's okay. It doesn't mean they're prying or they want to know, you know, deep, dark secrets. Just you could you could go, uh, you know, I'm originally from here. I'm from 10 miles down the road, and I just recently moved down this way. And, you know, I was working at the Unity Hospital and, you know, in the admissions department. And I really like this and that part about it, but felt like I wanted to go into the different industry, whatever, right? Or you could say, well, I made a career switch, you know, seven years ago, it's been incredible. I was a graphic designer, now I'm a physical therapist, whatever. And and owning your story and telling your story just calmly and proudly is, man, that is such a big thing. This is an exercise. I'll be able to tell my story. One minute version, three minute version, five minute version, you know. I own every single thing. It was all so important because it got you where you are. Nothing to apologize for, to feel weird about, none of it. You get power when you say, why? Who's who's judging me that I care what they think? I went through first 10 years as a human resources person. I got grief from other human resources people, not, not my homies, not the people in my company, but other people would just look right down their nose at me and say, oh, you're an opera singer? And it just took me forever to say, yeah, I'm an opera singer. Yeah. You have a problem with that? <laughs> you know, I mean, what a thing. It's because people get fearful. Oh, well, you must not be serious about business. I don't know. Am I serious enough about business? How serious am I supposed to be? How serious am I supposed to be? Can I not j- joke and laugh and sing opera and whatever? I, I'm serious about my job. But you want me to be more serious? You want me to furrow my brow? You know, it's a weird thing. But people get fearful. All right. Finish up with a little story here. I've been telling you guys kind of my my story of, you know, just looking at work and being interested in it and uh, seeing some, some of the dysfunction and the absurdity and some of the randomness of it. I think I told you I quit my job in the basement on Wall Street to be in the national touring company of cats. That wasn't true. I'm not a dancer. And I don't, frankly don't even like that show Cats, but I had to come up with something after I got called on the carpet by the VP because I changed a procedure without without uh, permission. And I saw in her face, she was terrified. It was, it was a moment. It was an aha for me, 19 years old in this basement of this high rise on Wall Street. And she was shaking like with fury. And I was like, that's way out of scope for the infraction. If I didn't know it was bad to send a typed xeroxed list of these state licensing requirements to all my little branches in california because they asked for it I'm like all right clerical project i'll do that oh no honey 
That's a procedure change. We're a highly regulated industry. Oh, come on. Now, you know that's that's BS right there. You just want to maintain the bureaucracy and all these 45 chickadees working for you in the basement with no windows. You know, it hit me, the whole structure, the Godzilla structure in the basement. Oh, I get it. Like, here's this woman, no offense to her, she's not that bright. We're in the basement with 45, she sits in her office that also has no windows, 45, you know, people sitting here, all female, in rows, a, a parody, a, 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 a trope, right? You had to have a sweater to put over the back of your chair to know which chair was yours. There were no partitions back then. Just a plain desk, metal desk with one of those albatross lights, the big metal swing arm thing over you. Like, are we real or are we fake? We are here. This basement is real. And and you're, I was down there, you know, like eight and a half hours, nine hours every day. And 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 I went up to some tall floor in the building for lunch and the girls from my my basement never looked at me or spoke to me at lunch. They didn't. They did not. They did not. I had no idea. I didn't stay there long enough to find out what that breaking in period might have been, or was it infinite? They talked about me the whole time. They didn't care if I heard because it was just one big room, you know, with tile floors, click clack of your heels, you know, on the floor, and then I don't even know. Cinder block walls was the worst. It was a clerical department in the basement of this high rise and. So I heard it and they and they and they talked about me. It wasn't critical, it was just quizzical. She doesn't live with the mother. What do you mean she doesn't live with the mother? She doesn't live with the mother. She doesn't live with the mother. She lives on the Upper West Side in an apartment. She I don't even know if she's a roommate. I don't she's she goes up there, she lives in the Upper West Side. Why does she live on the Upper West Side? I don't know. She doesn't live with the mother. And I was like, oh my god, me have you guys met my mother? But uh it was wild. A woman got married, a little older than some of them. Nice. The one woman who kind of talked to me, she was like 27, old maid or whatever back then. That's what they said. That's what people would talk about. It was all about their weddings. That was the whole conversation. The weddings coming up, their weddings. And uh, this woman got married and she went to personnel at the time, it was called. They wouldn't let her keep her name. They changed her name. I don't know if they saw... A wedding announcement in the paper. It was the spookiest thing, you guys. It's 1979. It was punk rock era in New York. And um, they wouldn't let her keep her name. They, they she, had, she was in tears. What's going on? What's going on? So, you know, work has always had, um, since the Industrial Revolution, this paternalistic, like, you don't just work here. You're part of our family. <laughs> we tell you how to live your life. And it's still there. It's still out there. Because... Well, the question, what have you been doing since you left your last job? How did you spend these three months? Oh, I was, you know, just in a drug cartel, just selling drugs, basically. Ha ha, right? I'm joking. <laughs> but it's, what? What was I doing? What was I doing for three months? I worked in this company for four years. I, I worked for four years solid, Monday through Friday, with two weeks a year vacation. So then when I was laid off, I, I said, let me, like, actually, you know, oof connect with my actual self, my life, connect with my family, my pets, just connect with my body, my purpose. I mean, if you can afford it. And also job hunting is not like, who who starts looking for a job above, um, you know, a, um, a uh, sort of entry level job? Who starts looking for a job and has a job like a month later? That's unrealistic today. But the question is still deemed appropriate. What have you been doing? 
Well, I was dealing with a death in the family. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, well, then why'd you ask? Didn't you think that was a possibility? How many times have I had to recount that story? This is why we do human workplace, you guys. We're trying to shift the frame, shift the mindset. Yeah, that's a basic idea. Thanks for listening, you guys. I'll see you next time.